Heavenly Father, we do praise you once again, all together. Grateful, God, we want to, we want you to receive all glory, honor, and praise through everything. And um, we pray, God, that this worship service uh, truly has been pleasing to you to this point. But, um, God, we, we come to your word um, humbled and uh, with spirits of thanksgiving, uh, knowing that what you have for us this particular day and this moment, this morning, um, is for our soul's good and for the blessing of your church and for the furtherance of your gospel in this lost world. So thank you, God, for this time, and I pray that it would um, just really be a, um, a source of just rock-solid truth, God, that we can um, be convicted and challenged uh, and also lifted up by uh, knowing that you are our loving Lord. So thank you again, God, for this time and for everyone who's here and everyone who's listening on the live stream. We ask for, for blessing and grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn with me to Mark chapter 12 as we continue on in Mark's wonderful gospel. And the latter end of these chapters, the portion of last portion of this gospel, we know we're already in Passion Week. We're just a few days away from Jesus being crucified. And we come upon a particular passage today. In Mark chapter 12, the passage is verses 13 to 17. It's um, a very well-known saying or phrase or verse uh, that Jesus says uh, at the end here. Uh, And I have to say that our sermon title uh, is Government and God, which is maybe somewhat misleading because uh, I'm not going to say everything today um, that there is to say about government um, or about God, but... um, uh, just I, I, I feel like that it's been just pretty um, well-traveled territory this past uh, couple years uh, during this COVID era and just, you know, how, how we've had, the church has had to deal with um, uh, just the, the restrictions and lockdowns and, and everything, the rules, regulations that we're still continuing to deal with, um, just not only at the church, but um, just at work and businesses and everything in our personal lives. So uh, I'm not going to say everything there is to say about government. I want to treat it in its context. So there's certain things that I feel like need to be said. But um, really, uh, probably the, the longest point is the first one. And the first one is not um, maybe something that we pay as much attention to when we come to a passage like this. So um, let, us, let us get right into the text here. It's Mark 12, like I said, verse 13 to 17. I'd like to read that for us, as we always do, to set the the passage in our minds. And if you can, please join me as we stand to honor God's word. That would be wonderful if you're able to do that. And please follow along, preferably in your Bibles, but it's also up on the screen there, if you so choose. Mark 12, verses 13 to 17. This is the word of God. Then they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to him in order to trap him in a statement. They came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? 
Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. They brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were amazed at him. Please be seated. So our big idea here for this passage, the theme for the sermon, is that believers in Jesus Christ must avoid hypocrisy, along with yield to government's authority and yield to God above all. And maybe as I read the passage, those things just um, are readily apparent. But uh, those make up our points of our, our outline, our sermon today as well. And so the first point here is that believers must avoid the wicked sin of religious hypocrisy. Uh, you do have an insert in your uh, bulletins there, I believe. And so the blank there is hypocrisy. Believers must avoid this wicked sin of religious hypocrisy. As we get going on the passage there in verse 13, it says, They sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to him. So who is the they, right? Well, to remind us from last week, it's the, the members of the Sanhedrin, right? The religious leaders. Um, and Jesus has just shaped them through telling the, the parable of the wicked tenants. He just, he just told them that parable and he basically exposed them for their ill treatment of God's prophets and ultimately of God's son himself, okay, who they want to kill. And they are guilty as charged, as charged, and yet they refuse to repent, okay, even though their sin is as clear as the noonday sun. They're just exposed. And I, I mentioned King David and Nathan the prophet um, last Sunday, right? Nathan the prophet tells that story, and King David, when he hears it, says, that man must die, and Nathan says, you are the man, Hey, what's the difference between a believer and an unbeliever? Hey, David was a believer in God, and he repented, like, on the spot, right? But these, these folks, these men, these religious leaders, even though they were leaders in the, the spiritual community um, for the Jews there, they were unbelievers who refused to repent. And instead of repenting, they sent for some backup. Right? Other men were brought to Jesus for a purpose, it says there in verse 13, in order to trap him in a statement. And, um, listen to the parallel passage okay, in Luke chapter 20, verses 19 and 20. Okay, same uh, events here, Luke 20, verse 19 and 20. It says, The scribes and the chief priests tried to lay hands on him, Jesus, that very hour, and they feared the people, for they understood that he spoke this parable against them. Right, So they watched him, and sent spies who pretended to be righteous in order that they might catch him in some statement so that they could deliver him to the rule and the authority of the governor. Okay, so Luke describes them as spies who pretended to be righteous. Who were they? Back to Mark 12, our passage. Some of the Pharisees and Herodians. Okay, we, we are mostly aware here at Faith Bible Church, and even through our time in Mark, 
who the Pharisees were, right? Perhaps the most influential religious leaders amongst the Jews, okay? along with the Sadducees, who we're going to meet next week. Okay? They're coming up in the passage here. Pharisees were known for their strict adherence to the law, but their fatal flaw, which Jesus rightly pointed out and called them out on, was that they would place the traditions of men, okay, the traditions of rabbis of the past, and the laws of man above, equal to, or above the laws of God. And this turned the true religion of Judaism into a false system of works righteousness. It produced a people of external obedience and self-righteousness rather than genuine worship and genuine faith and genuine religion from a heart that trusts and loves God. A huge, critical, crucial difference. So the Herodians, on the other hand, they were another group that held a position of authority and power over people. They were the political party that supported King Herod, thus Herodians. And Herod was the ruler, you might know, who the Romans put in place to be in charge over the Jews. These men were in favor of submitting to King Herod and thus to Rome for political gain, political reasons. They were a uh, worldly, Hellenistic, uh, non-religious group as a whole. So... When you think about those two groups of men, okay, under normal circumstances, they, they would not agree or unite on anything. Okay, they wouldn't be getting, getting along with, with, uh, on anything, pretty much. Politically, the Pharisees were against Rome. Okay, they were more the, the nationalists. And they would see the Herodians as compromising Jewish independence. Spiritually, if the Pharisees can be described as strict and sanctimonious, the Herodians could be called sacrilegious and worldly. Okay? But the thing that united these two opposite groups was their hatred for Jesus. Okay? Jesus was teaching against legalism, right, which fired up the Pharisees. And he was teaching against licentiousness, which the Herodians didn't like. Right? Their, their common opposition to him it already began as far back as Mark chapter 3. It actually mentions the, the Pharisees and Herodians. Um, that was a while ago uh, during our time here at Faith Bible Church. But Luke 13 verse 31 tells us that Herod wanted Jesus dead. And that's when Jesus calls him that fox Herod, right? And we know that the Pharisees have been plotting for a while now to destroy him. So here they're coming together as frenemies, if you will, to bring Jesus down. True to that old adage, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. These men were very clever in a wicked way, not a complimentary way. So they were chosen to take a shot at trapping Jesus into saying something that would incriminate him. Get him into hot water, either with the people or the government. So verse 14 there says, They came and said to him, Teacher, We know that you are truthful and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. What else would a rabbi or any teacher of scripture want to hear but words like that? Hey, teacher, you speak nothing but truth. You're not a people pleaser. You don't seek man's approval, only God's. You speak the truth to all people. 
rich or poor, high or low, young or old, you always teach God's ways according to his word. I want people to say that about me or say that to me. That would be quite, you know, uh, I would like that. But of course, they're lying. Right? They don't know or believe any of this stuff about Jesus, really. Okay, otherwise, instead of trying to trap him and send him to his death, they would be bowing down at his feet and following him as disciples. But their strategy, in a word, which is maybe coming to some of your minds right now, is flattery. Flattery is what they're doing. This is excessive or insincere compliments or praise that's intended to get you something that you want. Hey, it's not for the blessing or encouragement of the other person, but it's for self-gain. It's to further one's own interests. And just a brief pause here, I'll, I'll ask, hey, have you ever done this? Have you ever done that? Flattery. Hey, interestingly, Kent Hughes mentions that flattery is the exact reverse image of gossip. Hey, gossip involves saying something behind someone's back that you would never say to his or her face. Right? Flattery is saying something to someone's face that you would never say behind his or her back. Hey, Christians should have no part in this. Hey, this is part of what Jesus is calling out here as hypocrisy. It's deceit. Hey, it's prideful lying. It's for self. It's not for others. As Luke described um, in the passage we read before, these Pharisees and Herodians, they were merely acting, acting like righteous men. They were pretending to acknowledge Jesus' faithful teachings and truthful teachings. Instead of coming at him as adversarial foes, which they were, they're coming as admiring friends. They think they can get one over on Jesus through these compliments and smooth speech as their trap is being set. They follow up this disingenuous praise with their loaded questions. Okay, and look at the way that they frame it. Verse 14, Is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? So when they, they're asking if it's lawful, they're, they're saying permissible according to God's law. And they're not talking about the, the civil law. They're saying, is it, is it okay? Is it, should we do this according to God's law? This poll tax, pay this poll tax. Should Jews pay it or not? Yes or no? And just a quick by the way here, poll tax, that's a, it's a tribute tax, a, a head tax, a payment by the people under the governance of a ruling nation. It's um, sometimes uh, charged when a census of a people, of the population, okay, or property was taken, and that was part of the charge. In a sense, it's kind of a, a symbol of submission to and dependence on the powers that be. In this case, it's Rome. It's Caesar. Okay, so talk about a hot-button topic in, in Palestine in those days. Okay, we might liken it to certain political and social issues today that people get really worked up about, right? They're super sensitive. Of course, the Jews in general hated this tax, and the rest of the other taxes that Rome put upon them. Possibly the Herodians, maybe they were for it, the pro-Rome party, but they're putting that aside for now if they did. For most Jews, these taxes surely 
would have rubbed them the wrong way. Because their their own money was supporting this pagan oppressors and symbolized their subjection to these ungodly Roman government people. Maybe it can be likened to some folks in our wonderful state of California, unhappy about our hard-earned tax dollars going towards a public school system that is increasingly advocating to teach young children inappropriate and immoral values, okay, like LGBTQ stuff and CRT, right? All that instead of their ABCs. So we can, uh, we can maybe liken it to, to that in some way. So they ask him, should we pay it or not? Yes or no? And what's the trap? Hey, what's the trap? Well, if Jesus says yes, they could accuse him of being a, a Rome sympathizer, right? even a, a traitor to their Jewish nation and people. And it's further proof that he's a false messiah. Hey, it's, a, it's a hot enough topic to get the crowd's blood boiling. Okay? It's a sensitive issue. And people hated Pan this thing. And if he says yes, the mob can be turned against him. But if he says no, these wicked hypocritical spies could then go and report him to the Roman government as a traitor to the empire and against Caesar himself. So now he's in hot water with the government, an enemy of the state. So it seems like they have Jesus stuck between a a rock and a hard place. Finally, right, they've been scheming on this for a while now, and here it comes with these Pharisees and Herodians. Uh, One commentator says this, quote, The baseness of their plot is evident. Their hearts are hostile to Caesar, but they are ready to become informers against him for the sake of getting rid of him, end quote. But of course, Jesus calls them out on this in verse 15, right, knowing their hypocrisy. Uh, The other parallel passage is in Matthew 22. Matthew 22, verse 18 Listen, it says this, but Jesus perceived their malice, okay, malice or wickedness or hatred. And he said, why are you testing me, you hypocrites? He just point blank calls them hypocrites. Again, in Luke 20, verse 23, the other parallel passage, Luke 20, 23, it says, but he detected their trickery, their trickery. And what an ugly picture of this evil sin of religious Hypocrisy, the sinful devising that the Lord could perceive. He passed these complimentary words. They're eager to know, seemingly eager to know questions. They're putting him to the test and he could see right through their lies. And so for us, I think um, we are right in observing all of this about the Pharisees and the Herodians um, that we're meeting in our text today. But I think we should pause to consider our own propensity, maybe our own tendency, our own temptations towards religious hypocrisy. And we should understand that hypocrisy can come in many forms. But its basic meaning, listen, is duplicity or insincerity or false appearances. In ancient Greek theater, it referred to putting on a mask and playing a part, right? Like putting on an act. So to be a hypocrite is to pretend, to act like something that you really are not. It is to fake having traits like love 
and holiness and morality so that others will have a good impression of you. But it's pretense. It's an outward show for the sake of your own name and reputation rather than for the sake of God and the glory of Christ. Okay? So we need to just have that clearly defined. Just like flattery, it just, it just curves in on yourself, on ourself, instead of outward towards others and, and for God and for Jesus. So dear, beloved Faith Bible Church family, brothers and sisters in Christ, we must avoid hypocrisy, hypocrisy, okay? like avoid it like the plague. It's a blight on the name of Christ. It's a shame to the gospel. We must guard against it in our hearts and in our outward acts. Okay, someone once said wisely, listen, the, the world produces rebels, but the church produces hypocrites. Okay? And um, obviously that's not a, a blanket statement to say that every Christian or every churchgoer is a hypocrite, but you know the world can't produce hypocrites because they're, they're who they are. They're outside of Christ. Right? But we, we say we're in Christ, and then what, what does our, our life actually look like? What, of our, what is our life actually? And so to help guard ourselves from religious hypocrisy, this really wicked, evil sin, it might ha- help to ask a few questions of ourselves, such as, hey, why do you want to be holy? Why do you want to be holy in the, in the, in the first place? Hey, why are you serving the church why do you serve in the church? Hey, is it for show? Or is it because you love Jesus? Another question. Do I care more about what Jesus thinks of me or what people think of me? And some of these kind of are, are related, so I'm going to keep going, okay? How about this? Am I kind toward others? Am I serving others out of a genuine desire to love, bless, and encourage them because of my faith and love for Jesus? Is that why? Is that why I'm kind here at church and, you know, I, I, I try to serve and, and be nice to other people? Do I want others to see Jesus through my good works and words or myself? Do I want them to see the Lord, Jesus Christ, and his love? Or do I, want, do I want the attention? Is it for me? And let me just say that, um, you know, I appreciated what Pastor Bill said in um, our, our care group the week before last. And just, just about, just even we as pastors and preachers, we need to be on guard, especially against religious hypocrisy and putting on airs and making it seem like we've got you know, our, our whole spiritual life together and, you know, we pray 10 hours a day and, you know, um, I only pray like six hours a day. And, but, uh, you know, and, and make it seem like we got everything together, right? Uh, that's not the case. And Pastor Bill said, you know what? We're, we're working on things just like y'all, right? We're dying to sin and it's a struggle every single day, okay? So, listen, are there any things that I accuse others of doing or scorn others when they do it that, that I myself am guilty of doing. Okay, sometimes we're, we're so busy pointing the finger at other people that, that as the old saying goes, we don't, we don't realize we have three fingers pointing back 
at, at us, right? So we need to be careful of always looking at other people and what they're doing and, and you know, criticizing them or, or talking about them. And we need to focus and concentrate on ourselves. Last question here, and there's, there's a ton we could ask, but do I act religious and holier than thou to others on the outside when on the inside there's no genuine love for Jesus Christ and therefore no genuine love for others? Okay, you, you can't love others, according to the Bible, really, if you don't have a real love for Jesus Christ. Okay, if you haven't fallen to your knees and bowed down before him as your Savior and Lord, okay, and, and submitted to his Lordship in every single area of your life, as we've been talking about the last couple Sundays, sermons, okay, then you have to question whether you're in the faith or not. Okay, what is your life really about? But when you do really love Jesus, that's when you can start loving others, as the Bible commands us. And let me just add a quick note here, okay? Um, Important note, there's a difference between this hypocrisy, okay, this pretending, faking, and acting like a Christian for the sake of our reputation. Okay, that would be hypocrisy, right? There's a difference between that and trying and attempting and striving and struggling to bear fruit for Christ. Okay, that's sincerity, all right? So don't feel unnecessarily guilty if you're convicted right now, but... Um, if that's not the case, be convicted and, and let the Spirit do His work and may we grow and be changed by it, okay? But I just want you to note that there's a difference between like just trying and striving and struggling and we really want to bear fruit, we want to do the right thing, but we just fail sometimes, right? Between that sincere attempt at, at living out the Christian life versus this outward show, okay? And always just um, uh, doing things, uh, faking and acting like a Christian for, for our own reputation, so, as with these Pharisees and Herodians, okay, Jesus always sees through religious hypocrisy. So, we just need to know that, right? I mean, consider uh, just a few scriptures. Hebrews 4.13. It's so good. It says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That him is God. Okay? Everything is open and laid bare to the eyes of God. He sees everything. He hears everything. He knows everything. And it's like, um, I think I've shared before, just sometimes you go golfing, and me as a pastor, I, I go golfing sometimes. And um, just the, the habit of, of non-believers, especially when you're in a frustrating, um, uh, having a frustrating round and uh, a sport as, as challenging as golf, is cursing. Okay? There's, there's cursing just left and right. Right. Um, and so and then they find out you're a pastor and they say, oh, I'm sorry. I, I you know, shouldn't be cursing in front of a pastor, you know, and I, I want to say, don't worry about me. Hey, God hears every word that everyone says. Right. And so first Samuel 16, verse seven, we know this, right? Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks what? At the heart, at the heart. So even if we actually don't say the words, even if we actually don't commit the act, that God sees the heart. That's an application of that verse, okay? Um, so the last verse I want to give you is John 2, verses 24 and 25. Okay, in case some of you are wondering, well, is Jesus really God? Well, John is very helpful, right? 
John chapter 2, verse 24 and 25 says, But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to, to them, for he knew all men, for he himself knew what was in man. And Jesus himself, being fully God and fully man, he himself, it says, John writes, knew, he knows what is in man. So my point here is that we can learn from the negative example of these Jewish leaders, and these Pharisees, Herodians, all the rest, some very, very religious men. That though it's true, we can sometimes fool people. It's more true that we can never fool God. We can't get one over on Jesus. He knows. He knows and he sees. So we need to be vigilant. We must be vigilant and on guard to avoid the wicked sin of hypocrisy. Okay? So let's move on to our next point here, which is believers must submit to government. Believers must submit to government. And it's verses 16 uh, and 17 there, but we've got to back up to verse 15 there. It says, But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. So again, Jesus knows they're faking it. They're masking their true feelings here, their, their true thoughts. He knows they're trying to test him. He tells them to bring a denarius, a Roman silver coin, equal to a worker's average daily wage. And I got one right here on me. You can see it. No, this is a living waters gospel thing. It has the Ten Commandments and the gospel on it. But uh, anyway, it's probably, the real denarius is probably smaller than this, but I just wanted to show you. And so on one side of this coin, if it were to be uh, an actual denarius, it'd be a picture of the then ruling emperor. His name was Tiberius. He had a picture of his head on one side. And the inscription would read, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. So when Jesus says, what does it, what's it look like? What's the inscription? That's what it would say. On the other side, it would be the, the picture of Caesar seated on a throne. Okay? And he'd be wearing a, a diadem, a crown, and he'd be clothed as a high priest. And the inscription on that side would say, highest priest. Okay? This, this was like, almost like a, a cultish kind of state of being okay? in, in Rome back then. Caesar is Lord. So that's why Christians got in trouble later, right? For saying, no, no, Jesus is Lord. Okay, so they bring one of these to to him. He he asked them whose likeness and inscription. They said Caesar's. Okay, that likeness, that word likeness, image. Okay, whose image is on there? Face, as it were. And Jesus says to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and God things that are God's. Right. Jesus' famous reply was basically that they should give to Caesar what belongs to him, ultimately what God says belongs to him, and, what, and that they should give to God what God says belongs to God. Essentially, Jewish folks, okay, Pharisees, Herodians, you recognize Caesar's civil authority when you use this coin, when you use these coins. Therefore, you are obliged to pay him the taxes that he asked for. In context, too, what Jesus has done with just utter brilliance here is not answer in the way that they were leading him, just a straight-up yes or no, right? Either or. I love when Jesus answers with a question. But his answer essentially is both and, not either or, right? 
It's not yes or no. And in the process of escaping their trap, Jesus turns this hot-button, sensitive political issue into a spiritual one. Okay, render means to give, um, to give what is proper, okay, to give what is due. So yes, God says, Jesus says government should receive what is due to them. And yes, Jesus says God should receive what is due to him. And that's the answer. Both and. So there's many um, implications uh, that we can take from all this regarding government. Like I said, I'm not going to get into all of them at all today. Uh, I feel like we've, we've covered that ground uh, in some ways the last few years in, in different sermons. First Peter, uh, I believe I, I preached uh, one from there during our COVID time uh, earlier. But I just want to talk briefly uh, a little bit of government here. What is due to the government, okay, especially from Christians, from believers? What does God say uh, as, as authorities that God himself has given okay, for societies and for individuals good? What should Christians render to the government? Okay, there's a number of things here from Scripture that indirectly, okay, we just want to broaden the, the implication and let you know. Number one. Christians must be in submission to the government, which is the whole point here, which, okay, it means this, to place oneself under the authority of another. So when it says to subject yourself to some authority, and the last two Sundays we covered all those, right, structures that God has given, it means to place yourself under the authority of another. And so... Um, speaking of First Peter chapter 2, verse 13 and 17, I'll read it to you. It says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Okay, verse 17 again, it says, in First Peter 2, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So along with that submission, dear Christians, we should honor and respect our government leaders. Okay, so what else is, is due to government leaders? Okay, whether we love them or can't stand them okay, is, is respect. And so some of us have heard that President Biden, okay, um, uh, a week and a half ago or so, went on 60 Minutes and declared that the pandemic is over. Okay? I'm, I'm going to respect him and not call him Joe or call him Biden. I'm going to say President Biden announced that last week or so. Okay, So, uh, so whatever the policies are, whatever the, the, the speeches are, whatever the political deal is, Okay, whether we agree with our presidents or not, or their policies or not, Christians are called to respect and honor our government leaders. And we can do that in little ways, and we can do that in larger ways. What, is, what else comes with that um, submission, that honor, that respect? Okay, obedience. Obedience and cooperation to laws that are in place. Okay, again, whether it's nationally or on the state level, or the local level, or it's to police, or it's to judges, or it's to the traffic laws, whatever. 
obedience and cooperation to laws that are in place. And I'm not going to go on a rabbit trail here, but I think by now we know the Acts 5 principle, right? And there's uh, abusive uh, governments, there are oppressive governments, there are persecuting governments um, that, are tr- that, that may in some areas try to shut down um, Christians um, and worship and church and everything. So we understand that when it comes down to obeying God and man and government versus obeying God himself, obeying government and man versus obeying God himself, we will obey God over man, right? So if the government is telling us to do something that God says not to do or says that we're not to do something that God says we are to do, we're, we're going we're gonna to obey God, okay? So that's a very important note that we should um, keep in mind, important principle. So a few more things here. What should Christians render unto God? Just like Jesus says here, we should pay our taxes. They pay our taxes. Christians should pay their taxes, our money. Romans 13. Romans chapter 13 is uh, one of those key passages that addresses this this whole thing. Uh, You might want to turn there just because I'm going to read seven verses. Or you can, if you're a good listener, you can just listen. But Romans 13, verses 1 through 7, I'm not going to explain the whole thing, but... um, and there's some overlap with First Peter 2 as far as submission and obedience and uh, honor. Romans 13, verse 1 through 7. Paul writing, he says, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Why is that? For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. So there's the reason. Verse 2, Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. So uh, Christians are not to uh, raise a ruckus, uh, um, uh, unrest, chaos, demonstrations that cause damage and are against God's laws. That is uh, 100% sinful and wrong. Verse 3, why? For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? And do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it, the government, is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. And not just for the threat, dear Christians, but for your conscience before the Lord. That's why we should obey him. That's why we should honor the government. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. So render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Okay, so there it is, folks. And government is put in place. And whether they're a just government or not, to whatever degree, whatever level, they are performing some service to their people, okay? um, just whether it's security or protection or uh, just uh, borders against uh, other enemies and, and things like that and just providing a place to live. Government is doing something and taxes are a, a part of that. So we should pay what we owe, okay, just as a practical thing, okay, not more than what we should. Okay, if we're paying more taxes than we should, that would be unwise stewardship of what God has blessed us with, right? 
Um, we're allowed to take advantage of legitimate tax deductions, for instance. Okay, pastors have such a thing called housing allowance, okay, which is a huge blessing, and uh, that is very helpful during, during tax time. Uh, all church members, um, charitable deductions, charitable deductions for giving and offering and um, other uh, donations that we, we give. Um, but I'll say this, Christians should obviously, I hope, never knowingly cheat on their taxes. Okay? And some people do just because everyone else does it. Right? Well, that's what everyone does. Well, as long as I don't get audited, as long as they don't check me out, I, I can get away with it. Okay? Again, God sees everything, doesn't he? Okay, that would be an example of hypocrisy. If, um, you know, we're, we're saying we're Christians and we're believers, we've been born again, and, um, you know, we're against certain things, and then on, on this little thing, we're, you know, we're, we're too concerned about our, our, our finances and our money, to be honest. Okay, so that's all I'm going to say about that one. Um, just a couple more things here. Christians should pray for government leaders. We should pray for our government leaders. First Timothy 2, where does it say that? First Timothy chapter 2. Again, you can turn there and just listen. Four verses, all right? First Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4. And some of us, when the people who we like are in government, we, we pray like crazy, right? But then when, when not, no, we don't, we don't pray. Especially we don't pray like this. First Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4. Paul writing again to his protege Timothy. First of all, then, I urge, he urges, that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. Well, like who, Paul? Verse 2. For kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. He says, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. All right, so we should pray for our government leaders. Yeah, we should pray for peace in the land. But we should also pray for salvation of our leaders, okay? our government leaders, kings. Right? The time Paul's writing, this Nero is this, this awful, brutal dictatorship. We should pray for their policies to reflect God's righteousness, which I think maybe we do when we don't think things are being done right. But um, even for salvation for them. Okay, so sometimes when our guy is in, in, in the office, right, whether on the state or government level or whatever, but he's not a Christian, oh, Lord, please save him. But when it's someone that we can't stand and we completely disagree with everything, Lord, just change the policies. <laughs> change, I don't care about the guy. Okay, that, again, would be hypocritical hearts. No one might see it, but it's in there. Mark 12, verse 30 and 31 Okay, is the greatest commandment. We're going to get to it in a few Sundays. But um, listen, folks, praying for people who we have a hard time with, this is, um, this is an expression of love for others, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. So applying that to our government leaders, um, we should pray for them. We should even evangelize when opportunity arises. Okay? I don't know if anybody's ever going to meet the president or our senators or our, our governor or our mayor, but um, evangelize when opportunity arises. Okay? Paul's example in Acts, it's pretty wonderful. Right? He bears witness for Christ to, um, to Festus, to Felix, to Agrippa, even to the wives who were there. 
and it's pretty wonderful, Acts 24 to 26. He led many of Caesar's household to Christ, right? He's in that um, jail in Philippi. Uh, just absolutely encouraging and wonderful to uh, read that again, Philippians 1 and um, Philippians chapter 4. Anyway, we should pray for our government leaders, seek their salvation, okay? Lastly, on this point, Christians should respectfully confront corrupt government leaders and policies. Okay? Christians should respectfully confront just sinful things that the government does. And again, we have many examples in Scripture. A lot of Old Testament prophets who confronted sinful kings for their evil ways, right? Daniel stands out, doesn't he? In his appeals to Nebuchadnezzar, a prideful, just um, prideful, arrogant man. But Daniel calls him to turn from his sins and do what's right. Daniel 4.27 Later, he would strongly yet respectfully confront Belshazzar's pride and sin. Okay, just the, um, Later on in Daniel chapter 5, verses 17 to 28, I'm not going to go over it, but um, Daniel did that. How about John the Baptist? Right? He confronted King Herod's immoral relationship with his brother's wife. Right? He confronted him on it, called him out on it, continued to do so even in, while he was there. And uh, he got beheaded, uh, ultimately. The Apostle Paul, again, to, to Felix and his wife, he spoke to them in Acts 24 about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Like He told them and he witnessed to them. He called them out. And he was evangelizing them. Acts 24, verses 24 and 25. So I think um, we understand that America is not a theocratic nation. We understand the the separation of of church and state. Meaning that basically the government shouldn't be establishing a state religion. Um, But all of that can be taken to wrong extremes, right? Extreme measures which are just absurd. Christians should speak out against moral wrongs in our society. Okay, this is part of what it means to be salt and light in the earth, okay, Matthew chapter 5. But it should be done out of love for God and love for neighbor, right? for society's good and for the individual's good. So if we, if we speak out uh, against abortion and, and promote uh, pro-life and go on the, the walk for life and uh, celebrate that and talk to people about that, uh, that, that is that is part of our standing up for righteousness and standing up for biblical morality. So whether it's um, same-sex marriage, right, uh, just standing up for traditional marriage, or all, on and on it goes, right. So um, we should speak out against moral wrongs in our culture, um, but we've got to be careful not at the expense of proclaiming the gospel, right. Because ultimately, Christians should be dying on, on that hill. That's, that's where we, that's where we, we operate, okay? uh, on the, the, the primacy of the gospel call. Okay? So we don't want to, uh, we, that just takes prudence and wisdom and prayer and patience and discernment um, to, to be able to know, as Paul says in Colossians chapter 4, uh, how we should respond to each person. And our, our speech should be seasoned with salt so that they would want to hear more. Seasoned with grace, right? So they'd want to hear more. And so um, that's that, okay? Sorry, I, I did have one more before we get to the last point, which is going to be kind of super short. But um, the last thing is this. Christians should get involved with the government according to their gifts and calling. Okay? 
Christians should get involved with government according to their gifts and calling. Not everybody is called to, you know, just run for office or, or take part in uh, political kinds of stuff. But some people are. Again, biblical examples. God used Joseph. God used Daniel. God used Nehemiah, etc. Right. But um, God doesn't use everyone. Not all of us are, are called to just be so involved with that kind of thing. But God does use some. Okay? And maybe some are called to work, work for just the, the pregnancy clinics or um, for, I, I don't know, just the, any other number of uh, political, um, spiritual organizations which happen to overlap with political things. So uh, the other thing is Christians should exercise their voting privileges okay? as part of being involved with, with, uh, with government. Uh, that's just for everyone. That is for all Christians. Hey, we should exercise our, our voting privileges as God has blessed us in this country with. All right, so what does the New Testament, what does the Bible say that Christians should give to God? We talked about government, spent some time on that. Well, believers must submit to God above all. Submit everything to God. I mean, think about that. The denarius bears Caesar's image, right? And so... You give the coin tax to Caesar. It's due to the government. But we, as human beings, bear whose image? God's image. So God has right to claim authority upon ourselves. And he has... That's what's due to him. Ourselves. Our life. Our everything. Okay, so that's a simple answer, right? What must we render to God? What is due to him? What must we submit to God? Well, basically, our entire life, everything, our whole hearts. Again, Matthew 12 or Mark 12:30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. This is what we're to give to God, the entirety of our being. This is what's due Him: our absolute love and trust and faith and obedience and honor. And so there's a list of things when we think about it, okay, and for, for you to meditate on this week. Our worship here at this church, okay, our, our, our worship um, corporately is on Sunday morning, is it not? But it is not worship every single day, okay? And, and so our worship during the week should, like, flow into this time that, that we come together in this wonderful celebration and wonderful um, just praise of God together. And that should flow into the week, right? Into our, the parking lot, into our cars, and when we get inside our homes, worship in spirit and truth. doesn't matter where you are, right? That was kind of the point in John chapter 4 when Jesus says that to the, to the Samaritan woman, right? They who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Our sacrificial service, this is what's due to God. Our money, our givings, our offerings, hey, our sacrifices. I just want to ask, are you being faithful to, to give your offerings? Did you give your offerings this Sunday? Are, are you planning, purposely, your budget to, to give offerings faithfully? Hey, if you're a Christian, you are pleased to do that. Um, God loves a cheerful giver. And so our sacrificial offerings... Our possessions, our stuff, are we, are we holding loosely to the things and, and possessions and items that, that God has given to us? 
whether it's our homes or our cars or our gadgets or our phones or whatever. What else does God do? Our time, our talent, our energy, everything. We need to spend it and use it wisely. All of it comes, I'm getting older. I'm finding that my energy runs out more quickly. That means I've got to be more efficient. Okay, I've got to be more efficient and I've got to steward this body that God has given to me. I'm just, that's an uphill battle and it's like I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, the hamster in the, the wheel. But uh, I'm, I'm trying to do it. And a lot of times I, I fail more often than not, especially these days. It's a reminder, a rebuke to myself. All of this comes from God. It's given to us, to me, to steward. And it's to produce fruit for him. So our diligence, our discipline, our focus, okay, this is what we are to render unto God every day. And let me just throw this in here as a last thing. It can include even this, like, what should we give to God that is, is owed to him, that's due to him? How about our problems, okay, our toils, our cares, and not take them upon ourselves to solve and to go to him and to actually go to him? And this is church-wide and this is personal-wide, right? Go to him in prayer. Our worries, our burdens, our anxieties, Keep going to the one who is faithful to hear you, to, to, to cast your cares and anxieties on the Lord because he cares for you. Psalm 55 says he will sustain you as you do that. Your doubts, your fears, go to him. Render them to him. Give them to him. Our past, hey, some of us are hanging on to our past and we can't let go of it. I would encourage you this morning. Render it, give it to God. Your present, your future, your relationships, your good relationships, give them up to God. Thank God for them. I thank God for the good relationships that I have in my life. I'm so grateful for the people, okay, the relationships. And yet, I want to give it up to God. Bad relationships, okay, give it up to God. Render it up to God. Submit. Yield to God okay, on how you are to deal with all of this. Okay, that's part of the application here. All right. So I hope as we conclude, I hope that as we hear these words of Jesus, these familiar words of Jesus, and we're taking to heart that first point about religious hypocrisy, that that we would be stunned like these Pharisees and Herodians were. It just says that they were amazed at him. (laughs) These enemies, right? these frenemies actually, who are enemies opposition against Jesus, they were stunned into silence, just dumbstruck at his answer. With that one striking sentence, right? Jesus shows that God and government have their legitimate realms of authority, and yet we have certain appropriate responsibilities underneath God's ultimate authority. Okay? So the difference between us and them is their pride and their unbelief, their sinful hearts, it didn't allow them to turn in repentance of their hatred and their hypocrisy. Instead of succeeding on their scheme to trap Jesus into saying something against Rome, you know what they do in just a few days? They have to lie about it. They have to lie about it. In Luke 23, um, it says, The whole body of them got up and brought him before Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. So this is like right before Jesus is going to the cross, okay? So, um, in a different way, I hope that we are amazed 
at our Lord Jesus. And he knows that he's going to be going to the cross, but um, he's not going to fall for this. And um, he's leading us to be warned not to imitate the world of unbelievers and, um, you know, not to be Christians in name only, not to succumb to that evil of religious hypocrisy, search our hearts and submit to who God says to submit to, even the government, ultimately to him. Okay, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for, again, the, the truth and clarity of your word. It never fails us. We're so grateful, God, to have it. And um, thank you for both the warnings and the encouragements um, in our passage today. And uh, I pray once again, God, that uh, we would not just hear, but we would be changed in our hearts. And um, that, would, that would turn into lives that are um, visibly visibly altered for the glory of Christ, our King. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.